0: all. You know, the other thing that uh, I'm thankful for this morning is an opportunity to say thank you to our nation's veterans. If you're a veteran in this room, if you've served our nation's military, would you take a moment to stand so that we can thank you for the, the time and the commitment, your sacrifice, your commitment in serving our nation? Would you stand? Ed, I see you. I know you. Yes. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Thank you, Bond. Thank you. You know, this is, this is a day that it is appropriate for us to learn to give thanks, to give thanks to, to the men and women who have served our nation's military, many who are still here today, some who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and are no longer with us. But uh, it is appropriate for us to give thanks this Veterans Day. You know, I, I personally have uh, a number of reasons to give thanks on Veterans than Day. My maternal grandfather, he served in the Battle of the Bulge and uh, during World War II. My paternal grandfather was a decorated commander in the uh, Vietnam War in the Navy. Uh, my, my own mother, she served as a, a nurse in the army for a number of years, and uh, my father-in-law served working on submarines in the navy. And so, all these people—if uh, you—if you take the time to slow down and think about the people you have in your life, like Levon and, and Ed, uh, and, and consider the the time that they took apart from their life to to serve in our nation's military—it it, it should do something in us, right? It should do something in us, but. But I want to I challenge us to think a little bit about what it should do in us. See, I think each of the people I mentioned are, are people who are the recipients of our thanks. They're the ones that receive our gratitude. They're the ones that receive uh, our thanksgiving. And on Veterans Day, it's a day that we've set apart to express our gratitude to these individuals, I think this is an important thing to, to think about because we're, we're, we, we take the time on Veterans Day, which was this past Thursday, but for us as a church, the first chance we've had to gather since then, to, to give thanks to them, but not necessarily for them. It may sound callous, but, but hear me out. There's a very important distinction I want to draw here. See, Veterans Day, uh, according to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, it, it is a, a holiday that's commonly spelled with an apostrophe, V-E-T-E-R-A-N apostrophe S, right? When you see it in, in, uh, in advertisements or, or in calendars and things like that online, it's spelt with an apostrophe, but that's not necessarily what it is. In that sort of grammatical spelling, it's saying it's a day that belongs to veterans, but that's not what it was intended to be. It was intended to be a day for veterans, more attributive, more of uh, uh, the, speaking of the the veterans plural, right? It was a day that we as a nation set apart to thank them. It's a day that we've designated a a special time where we give them our thanks and our gratitude. On the... uh, the website, well, actually, I won't read what the website says, but, but I will read this part. They said that the spelling is without an apostrophe. Why? Because it's not a day that belongs to veterans. It's a day for honoring all our veterans. Again, in other words, Veterans Day is not a day when we give thanks for those veterans who served our nation's military. It's a day to give thanks to those veterans who have served in our nation's military. This is a time where we're we're extending our hearts of gratitude to them. We're we're thankful to God, yeah, for creating these people, but but ultimately, Veterans Day is a day where where we are extending our gratitude to these veterans. A little bit of the history of Veterans Day, on November 11th of 1919, the first year that we celebrated Veterans Day, which was at that time known as Armistice Day, our, our then President of the United States, President Woodrow Wilson, said this in a, his address to the nation. He said, Out of this victory, referring to World War I, there arose new possibilities of political freedom and economic concert. The war showed us the strength of great nations acting together for high purposes and the victory of arms foretells the, the enduring conquest which can be made in peace when nations act justly and in furtherance of the common interests of man. See, these are the things that we're grateful for. These are the benefits that we receive, the blessings, the, the, the peace, the, the common interests of, the, of man, the, the political freedom, the economic concert, working together with one another. But then he goes on to say, to us in America, the reflections of Armistice Day... Will be filled with solemn pride in the heroism of those who died in the country's service. That's what Veterans Day is. It's a day set apart to give thanks to those individuals who served in our nation's military. These are who we are grateful to. So on Veterans Day, we, we don't give thanks to God. We remember the men and women who have served our country and we give them, we give them our thanks. There's a distinction there. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we all have a level of gratitude to God. But Veterans Day is a day that we have marked apart to give thanks to the veterans who have served. Ironically, none of, which would feel, none of these individuals would feel comfortable being the center of attention and receiving the thanks for, for what they've done. But that's what the day is meant to be. And when it comes to our faith... There's a, a, a good connection here for us to think about. See, when it comes to our faith, there are many things that we have to be thankful for, that we can be grateful for when we, ta- when we stop and take the time to think uh, on what we have to be grateful for. We, we can be thankful for God's forgiveness. Many of you may not realize this because we haven't taken the time to think about it, but, but God's acceptance is something that we all genuinely long for in the depth of our soul to be accepted and belong in the the family of God. We're grateful for God's grace, a future inheritance that we're confident in, a spiritual family to belong to, righteousness, joy. All these things are things that we're grateful for. But then within the Christian faith, within, within our faith, there's really only one person to whom we give our thanks to, So this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 105. I'm going to read Psalm 105, just the first six verses of the psalm. We're going to spend our time there this morning. and We're going to look at this idea of of gratitude to God, cultivating this life of gratitude to God. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it for us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob his chosen ones. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, your people, to, to this world, to your creation. Father, I pray that through your word this morning, you would, uh, that you would break through whatever walls we've set up in our hearts, that we would see this gift that you offer us in Jesus Christ. Work in us in this word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the life of gratitude is a life uh, that, that, that is describing a relationship. You know, kind of like this distinction of of not just being thankful for God, but we're thankful to God, right? There's a relationship that we're trying to to draw near to, to pay attention to. And the reality of gratitude is that it's not something, uh, it's it's not a science, it's more like an art, right? I think we'd like it to be like a science that if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll be filled with gratitude, but the life of gratitude, the, the life of, of this, the context of this relationship with God is, is more like an art than a science. I mean, a science is more formulaic, right? It's, it's kind of what we feel most comfortable with because we can control it. We can, we can decide, uh, you know, what we put into it and what we get out of it, right? It's kind of like if we add two parts of hydrogen, one part oxygen, and poof, you have a life of gratitude, right? You've, you've created gratitude, or, or add a, a half a cup of softened butter, a cup of unbleached flour, a teaspoon of baking soda, a, a cup of the, the milk chocolate, chocolate chips, stir it up, put spoonfuls on a tray, turn the oven, preheat the oven to 350, and for 12 minutes, poof, you've got a whole lot of gratitude that you can enjoy with a cold glass of milk, right? Wouldn't it be nice if that's how it worked? I don't actually know if I made cookies, by the way, with that recipe. I, I kind of just made that up. But we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, thank you, good. Wouldn't it be nice if shaping our character was so simple, right? Like like if we could just expect, okay, I'm going to, have, I have this many resources, I'm going to give this much to that, this much to, to spending time with my family, this much to investing in the church, th- this much to spending time with God, and, and I'm guaranteed to have the kind of character I hope for if I just give that percentage of my time to each of those areas. But it's just not. I mean, the, Cultivating a character that, that, we are, that we are excited by, that we're, that we're content with, that, that fills us with joy, it's, just, it's not so simple. Right? Cultivating gratitude takes time and it, it takes intentionality and, and it, it becomes more like building healthy habits in our lives. Right? It becomes more of adding a little bit of this, taking a little bit of this away. It, it requires being aware of, of, of the, the circumstances of, of our lives. It's a, it's a little bit more like, uh, I imagine, a, a painter who mixes colors on a, a painter's palette, right, to get, to get orange. They don't start with a, a quarter cup of red and a quarter cup of yellow and stir it up, and there you go. You got, you got the color you want. I, I don't think this is the kind of way that Bob Ross would have made his happy little trees, right? <laughs> now, you may be asking yourself, for those of you who know me, hey, I thought Pastor Dan was colorblind. How would he know how a painter makes orange. Well, I, I had to turn to the expert. I turned to my six-year-old daughter, Eliza, and I said, hey, Eliza, if I wanna mix colors together, how do I make orange? She says, well, dad, you gotta take the primary color of, uh, uh, of red and, and start to add little bits of yellow until you have the orange that you want. I kid you not. I, she says primary colors, I'm like, where do you learn that? <laughs> TV. TV's the answer, by the way. Uh, but the idea is that getting the right color Getting the right character is blending together these two colors in such a way that produces the beautiful shade of orange that you want to get. The reality is the life you want, the the life you hope for, requires this blending together the right kind of habits that you believe will result in the life of gratitude you long to live for. Shaping our character is not such a simple thing. It requires time and investment and intentionality. It requires building habits. The psalmist teaches us two key habits this morning that I think are, are necessary to living a life of gratitude. Those two habits are seeking the Lord and remembering. Now, considering seeking the Lord first, if God is the source of our gratitude... And by that, if if he is the, the source of all that is good and pure and true and and what is most real and pure in our hearts and minds and the lives, if if God is the source of our gratitude, and I believe He is, then it just goes to show that that we exercise the habit of uh, of seeking Him to maintain that life of gratitude, right? To to, to turning to the source of gratitude. And building that habit up of seeking him so that we might see that gratitude take root in our lives. Psalm 105 verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord. And then he goes through a whole bunch of ways that we can do that. We can tell other people of what God has done. Through song, we express the, the depth of our soul. It's not just a matter of singing the words that are on the screen, but making the connection that, that our soul and the very depth of its being is aligned with these, with, with these biblical truths that we proclaim through song. You, you know, uh, it, it, we, could, we could stand up here and just read the scriptures the whole time, and, and that would be true, but there's something about stirring your soul through song that, that, that grabs at something deep within you that, that gives thanks to God. It doesn't just say, hey, I'm, I think I'm supposed to be thankful to God. It actually begins to articulate the language of your soul to God through song. We can also tell the world around us of his, of his wonderful deeds, his wonderful works. We can let other people know of what God has done. You better believe that when people ask how my family did as we Kind of endured these last, the last week and a half of, of quarantine or whatever it was. I lost sense of time in, in isolation. Anyway, uh, I'm going to tell people about how we were loved and supported by the family of God. I'm, I'm going to let people know how we felt cared for. I'm going to let people know about the, the blessing it is to be a part of a family of God. But all of this, all of these benefits begin. All of these ways of us giving thanks to God begin and are rooted in our seeking the Lord out, in being able to look and identify God's moving and working in our lives and in our world, in God's being able to identify God's promises, not just given but fulfilled. But we're not going to see those things unless we're seeking them out, unless we're seeking the Lord. But seeking isn't such a simple thing for some of us. Seeking is is actually a challenge for many of us because oftentimes we seek things out on our own terms or or with our own expectations of what we should find, right? Or or, or we're just seeking other things to find our joy and and contentment in. And the the Gospels Jesus taught his followers that those who knock, a door will be opened to to those who seek, they will find. In other words, for many of us, we like the idea of, of, about God as being this powerful uh, source of creation and our good, but we're just not actually knocking. We're, we're actually not really seeking the Lord. We're, we're, we're seeking other things. You know, when, when, uh, when Tara and I go out to dinner or we go to a restaurant, sometimes we'll come home with leftovers, and, and my favorite thing is to look forward to having those leftovers the next day, Right? And so lunchtime comes around, and and I open the fridge, and and wouldn't you know it, my nachos aren't there. (laughs) And and like there's a a little bit of like, like genuine disappointment when you look in the fridge and the thing you're hoping for isn't there. So what do I do? Tara, where are my nachos, right? Where's that food, right? And of course, Tara tells me, well, they're in the fridge, honey. Well, Tara, I don't see them. They're not there. So finally she gets up and comes over and she moves the broccoli out of the way. The thing that you don't want, right? She moves out of the way and there they are. The nachos are right there. They're right behind the very piece of food you, you, you couldn't see beyond, right? Church, I think sometimes there are times in our lives where, where, where we treat seeking the Lord in our lives like this. We like the idea of feasting on a relationship with the Lord, but but we're not motivated to really move things around in our lives, to to seek him out, to pay attention to him. We're satisfied with the easy answers, but we're not necessarily motivated to do the hard work of, of moving the broccoli and seeing what it is I truly open the fridge to go looking for. The other thing about seeking the Lord that I think we need to consider is that oftentimes it's because we go looking for the solution to life's problems with a selfish intent or or hardness of hearts the other day I was looking for batteries and I know where I put them When when we moved I knew where I put them I said I think this is a great idea we're going to put them on a shelf in the laundry room and so I'll know where to get them right but when I went to look for them they weren't there someone in well I got stuck in the idea that the batteries should have been where I left them, right? <laughs> so I-, I'm, I'm, I look in the laundry room on the shelf, they're not there. I-, I say, okay, well, maybe for some reason I put them in the garage, because that's close to the laundry room. So I went and looked in the garage, not there. I checked my closet. I, I started getting creative. I checked my, the junk drawer in the kitchen, I checked the shelves in the living room. A- and then I'm like, you know what? No, I- I've got to be right. I can't be wrong here. So I go back to the laundry room and check there again, because You know, it doesn't matter how many times you look on that shelf. You still go back and look at the shelf because you're like, no, it's got to be here, right? I I know that this is. I know what I know in my head. I'm not willing to accept that it's not there. See, my stubborn heart wouldn't allow me to consider looking in a place that I wouldn't have put them. Right? My my stubborn heart said, no, no, no. It's got to be where I know I put them. There's no other place it could be. Well, good thing I married such a smart wife because uh, she had reorganize the laundry room after we unpacked and, and, and move some things around to make room for, you know, the detergent and, and the fabric softener and things like that that you need. And so uh, it, it really wasn't something I was able... The batteries weren't something I was able to find until I humbled myself to ask for help. And it was only then that I, that I actually found them. See, church, too, too many of us are seeking life's answers without really asking for help along the way. We're not really turning to the Lord and saying, uh, like the man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. We're not saying, Lord, I want you, help me to find you. Lord, I, I, I need you, help me to see your hand at work in my life. We think, in terms of religion, we, we can... We can, we can put our hands on God. We can, we can know him theologically, and so we know what to expect from him, but that's not true. We do know him theologically, but God, God's ways are beyond our ways. There's so much that we have yet to learn about him and know about him and, 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 and to trust in him. I, I think we, there's a bit of humbling that has to happen in our seeking the Lord. You you can't say, well, God, I gave you those fifteen minutes this morning, so I'm not. I, I can't afford to give you any more of my, my 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 mind space later on in the day. Seeking the Lord is a very humbling place where we 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 reach out to Him and say, Lord, help me. Show yourself to me. In Psalm. 37 Verse 4 David taught that if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your hearts. So I think the Bible teaches us a different way to live toward gratitude. It's it's an open handed way of living before God. It's not seeking the Lord on your own terms, it's not saying, God, I only expect you to show up here on Sunday morning when I'm at the church. It's understanding that maybe God is going to show up on your commute to work, during your lunch hour, when you're sitting in your cubicle, when you're having coffee with friends, when you get into an argument with a loved one. God can show up in any and every one of those places if we humble ourselves to believe that God wants to be found. Not only does he want to be found, but, but, but what the Bible teaches us is that when we seek him first, when we we seek his strength, when we seek him continually, then and only then will we truly find what we've been longing for. Right? It's not just a matter of looking for the right information, finding where you left your keys. It's a matter of understanding that the satisfaction of your soul is what you truly long for. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you when you say, "Lord, it's you that I want," well, then your soul finds what it truly longs for and desires. But here's the thing: gratitude is not something that's grown overnight, right? Seeking the Lord is not something you just you do once you do on Sunday morning when we come together to worship, and then you move on and you you know you you can compartmentalize your life. Seeking the Lord is a daily, moment-by-moment habit that we cultivate. It it requires putting off uh, this this desire for instant gratification. It it, it embraces the reality that what I truly want is worth the wait. And so I'm going to be persistent and persevere in prayer and and in, in spending time with the Lord and thinking on Him and considering His His presence in my life in this very moment. And over time, there is a habit of a relationship that you have with the Lord where you come seeking Him with open hands, and He reveals Himself as a God who meets you in that place, comforts you, guides you, strengthens you. But it requires our continual habit of seeking the Lord. Gratitude is cultivated in your life over the long haul. And, and, and honestly, it's often a lot harder than we like to think. Because it's not just a matter of building good habits, it's breaking some of those old bad habits. And breaking old stubborn habits in our hearts is not so easy, is it? Learning to look for answers in a different way is hard. Denying the desires of our flesh is a very challenging and difficult thing for us to do. But when we learn to seek the Lord and his strength continually, I, I think when we, when we learn a, a different language of our heart, when, when we allow our heart to, to consider things from a heavenly perspective rather than from an earthly perspective, we begin to see that God wants to feed us with, those, with, with the very uh, relationship where we, are, we can't help but be thankful to God because his blessings and his promises and that relationship become so clear to us over time because of the, the energy and the investment we're, we're putting into seeking him rather than seeking the things of this world. The second activity that I think we learn about in Psalm 105 is the activity of remembering. In Psalm 105, verses 5 to 6, uh, we read, Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Remember his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. So I think, again, what the, what the psalmist is talking about here is building this habit through both action and, and, and thought the people are to remember what God has done. Right? I mean, the Sabbath is, is meant to be a time where Israel stops from their labors and remembers God, remembers who it was that created all things, who it is that provides their every need, who it is that has called them out of the, up out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt, who it was that led them through the wilderness, provided for them every step of the way, who gave them victory over their enemies. And it's not just the Sabbath that reminds them of these things. You know, the, the, the festivals and celebrations that God established for his people, they weren't meant to be you know, potluck suppers and family reunions where we come together and have a good time. They were meant to be a time where we come together and give thanks to God for who he is and what he has done for the harvest he's given us this season, for the ways that he's provided, for for his forgiveness and the atonement we have in Christ. These were meant to be festivals of remembrance. And and, and honestly, remembering was a key aspect of the life of Israel in the Old Testament. It was how they maintained their relationship with God. Listen to um, what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 9 to 10. When, when Moses is giving the, the law that God had given on Mount, Mount Sinai to the Israelites, he says this. He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Keeping your soul is not just something you do momentarily, but it's, it's, a, it's a habit, it's an ongoing practice to keep your soul diligently, to guard your heart and mind, to protect it against the, the lies of, the, of Satan. To, to, to guard it against believing that, that the things that, that, that the, this world offers you will truly satisfy you, but instead to, to remind yourself, and especially in those moments where, where things are hard and difficult, that God is your refuge, that he is your strength, that he alone is the place we, we turn to for, for comfort and guidance and wisdom. But, but not only that, that we would build the habit of maintaining our soul diligently lest we forget what God has done, but that we would also share it with our children and our children's children so that future generations would know of God's faithfulness. So that future generations would understand who God is and how he works. Listen, we're not born knowing how God works. We're born into a world of sin. We're, we're born separated from God. And so your children and your children's children need to be taught who God is, how he's faithful, how he desires to be with them. They need to understand the, 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 the height and the depth, the length and the, the width of, of God's love for them. See, this is the sort of habitual memory that involves not just remembering who God was and what he had done, but but sharing that with other people, letting them know who God is and what he's done. Parents, I challenge you to go home and ask your kids about building Ebenezer stones. The kids did this in Sunday school. And so for those of you who may not know what an Ebenezer stone is, it's a stone pillar, a pillar that's made of stones that, that Israel was instructed to build at a moment in their history where they were called to remember God's help where they were to remember that God is their help, and he showed up in their life as a nation in a particular point in history and accomplished what they needed. So our kids, they did this in Sunday school, but it wasn't to tell them that a good Christian remembers God. It was meant to help them build the habit of thinking on and remembering who God is. So parents, go home and ask ask your kids about that. In the New Testament, Paul tells believers in the Philippian church, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, he's telling them, think on. Remember, fill your hearts and minds with whatever is true, pure, lovely, commendable. Build the habit of remembering who God is and what he's done. Build the the habit of of remembering what God has done in the past, what he's doing now, and and hold with great hope the promises of what he's promised to do in the future. And, And as you build that habit, take hold of this promise that the God of peace will be with you. See, the, the problem for many of us, and myself included, is it's a lot easier to remember the bad, to, to focus on and remember uh, all my failures, to, 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 to pay attention to those places where I, I, I messed up, I said the wrong thing, I, I, I did the wrong thing, I made a bad decision. I responded out of anger, or I was impatient with my kids, or or whatever it would be. It's so easy to focus on the bad, it's very hard to remember the good. We remember the good in the moment. Don't get me wrong. We celebrate those moments where God has shown up and blessed us, or or where he's comforted us, or where he's guided us and been our strength. But it's so hard to stay in that place. Uh, Rather, it's easy to remember the, our failures rather than God's blessings. Church, this is a habit we have to break. This is a habit we have to say, hey, listen, God, you're, you're not calling me to dwell on my sin. You're not calling me to dwell on what has gone wrong in my life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should ignore these moments in our lives where we've sinned against God or sinned against another person. I'm not saying we should just uh, kind of skirt past the negative things in our lives. But but God calls us to remember him, to, to dwell on his goodness, his blessings. As disciples of Jesus, as followers of God, what does that look like in your life? Is it easier for you to remember the bad than to dwell on the good. See, the life of the flesh and the life of the Spirit working in in opposite of each other. Your flesh reminds you of your failures and your sin, and, and it's so easy to listen to this. But that's not the life that God has called you to. The New Testament teaches us to deny our flesh, to deny this way of thinking, to deny the hopelessness we feel within us and instead to cling to and remember the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So don't give Satan any more space in your head. Don't give him any more space in your heart. Don't let him get his foot in the door and cause the disarray that happens when we dwell on that which is bad. But let your heart remember God, remember his deeds, remember the birth of your child, the blessing of seeing them grow. Remember, uh, you know, the love you have from God, the acceptance you've experienced in Jesus, the relationships with your family members. Remember how God has grown you. Look back at your life in the last five years and ask yourself, God, or ask God, "How how have you grown? And celebrate the good because that was God and not you that grew. God grew himself in you. That's something to celebrate. That's a blessing. Remember, celebrate him. Because it's so easy to forget. Paul says to deny our flesh, but then he says keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with God's Spirit alive in you. Remember God Remember who he is and what he's done and what he's doing in this world and what he's going to accomplish, what he's promised to do. So a life of gratitude is not conjured up. And it's not like stumbled upon, we found a life of gratitude. It's not accomplished by doing X, Y, and Z and then poof, you've got gratitude. A life of gratitude is cultivated. It's it's cultivating these habits that, that, that help us to hear God so clearly, to find hope in the midst of some very difficult and challenging circumstances because we know that the outcome of those circumstances are not dependent upon you but on a faithful God. So let me ask you, when was the last time you spent time remembering what God has done in your life? When was the last time you, you spent a day, a day remembering what God has done in the life of your family? When was the last time you spent even 30 minutes thinking on, remembering what God has done in the life of your church? The, not your church, the church, his church. See, we don't have to wait for Thanksgiving to do these things. I mean, Thanksgiving is a natural time uh, where we think on, what are we grateful for? But the life of a disciple of Jesus is, is a life where we are seeking him continually, where we're remembering who God is and what he's done in our lives, where we're cultivating this life of gratitude. So it shouldn't be just around this one holiday through in the year, but Something we experience day in and day out. So, how do you routinely, regularly, daily think on and remember the promises of God? Is it uh, uh, the life of prayer you've cultivated, where you where where you reflect on these things? Is it journaling? Is it you know a, a, as you spend time reading God's Word, do you allow it to remind you of the things that God has done in your life, or that He will do? How, how, do you, how do you do that? You know, I'd encourage you, not many of us are very good at this uh, as a practice, as, as a habit. And so, you know, share that experience with other people. Don't be afraid to admit that you're not very good at this. See what sort of things you, you hear other people doing to remember what God has done. Maybe it's even crocheting, you know, something or, or, or through art, painting something that you can hang on the wall. Maybe it's through a song that, 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 you, that you gravitate to for a reason. You just need to spend more time thinking, why am I gravitating toward this song? Why does it, it stir something in me, uh, a sense of gratitude to God? Think on these things. Remember him, but don't stop seeking him. Church, this Thanksgiving, I, I hope our gatherings are filled with laughter, with love, with, with the encouragement of being together. I, I genuinely do. But most of all, I hope that your Thanksgiving is filled with sharing memories of the goodness of God. I I hope that your Thanksgiving is filled with with the sort of remembrance that that reminds you of the hope, that that kindles that hope in your hearts, and that, that shares with that next generation of the hope they have in Jesus as well. So church, seek the Lord continually. Remember his many wondrous deeds and promises. Give thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to his name, you children of Jacob. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that it is easy to, um, to make light of you and your blessings in this world. And it's so easy to make a big deal of of the things that we are discouraged about in this world, the disappointments, our failures. And so, Lord, we we confess before you now that we've not always been good at seeking the Lord and remembering you and and doing so continually of of these two habits. And yet, Lord, I, I pray that in that place of confession, we would be able to repent as well in such a way that we turn away from the, 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 the poor habits in our lives that, that stop us from seeking you continually, that stop us from remembering you regularly. And instead, Lord, that we would turn toward you. And uh, like the, the, the father who said, I believe, help my unbelief, Lord, we want to seek you and remember you. Help us to seek you and remember you. Teach us to live with these open hands before you, not... Not on Sundays alone, or not on, uh, during our quiet time in the morning alone, but moment by moment every day. Help us to seek you habitually, continually, and remember you throughout our day. And we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.